Hey, welcome to another episode of Bros, Bibles, and Beer. This episode is brought to you by Studio, where you can find amazing headphones and earbuds. If you go to their website and make a purchase, put Bros15 for a 15% discount at studio.com. Come back to fundamentalism, <laughs> Chuck. <laughs> Chuck. All right, I'm just going to. Do call you him. hear me, Chuck? Hi, Jeff. Hey, Zach. Hey, Scott. Hi, y'all. How are, how's everybody doing? So good. I'm good. so tired. You don't even know. So good. Yeah. You're tired. I'm very tired. You sound tired. I feel tired. By that, I mean your voice sounds even better than it usually does. Oh, okay. Yeah. Wait, well, do that one right. more time. Oh, okay. Deeper. Oh, okay. <laughs> all right. In a world yeah. where dinosaurs still live and eat people, <laughs> Jurassic Park 4. <laughs> Can you give me like an in the world <laughs> where Scooter tries to flee the apocalypse? <laughs> uh, in a world where Scooter picks up his cross. <laughs> <laughs> I can't do it. I can't do it. Oh, gosh. Were you going to say it picks up his cross? Yes. <laughs> I was going to go for The there. words couldn't even get out of your I mouth. <laughs> I just Scott's uh, smiling. He's not saying anything, but he's smiling. Scott, it's not that you haven't picked up your cross. I just couldn't get I couldn't get the words out of my mouth. No, I get it. Do you? I get it. <laughs> okay. Sometimes you just laugh and you just you can't get the words out. So you get it. It's a it's a smile of disgust. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I got a little bit of energy back. If we didn't have a guest, that's the name of this episode. Smile of disgust. <laughs> It's also Scott's new band. Yeah. Mm. Jeff, why are you tired? I uh, just got off the airplane at uh, 1 o'clock today and uh, then drove... Today uh, being December... 17th? 17th. Then drove over an hour home and as my boy slept in the passenger seat. We just got back from Pittsburgh. Mm. Steelers, Patriots... Steelers Patriots. It was I hit the lottery. We hit the lottery on football games. Did, it was a great game. And it, I'm a huge Steeler fan. I'm 40 years running and I've never been to a Steeler game and the Steelers which is 2 thirds of his life, so that's uh, a good portion yeah. of his life. <laughs> the Steelers have had so much trouble with Tom and the gang. And uh, yeah, they're like two and seven or something. uh, I don't know. It's so bad. The only thing that matters is we're one and oh in the last game. (laughs) It was a great game, but what got you to pull the trigger to go because we're in Southern California, right? Uh, it's expensive to fly to Pittsburgh. It was the tickets, even more expensive to get football tickets, 
Why right. this game? Why now? Um, I was just searching one of the apps uh, for for flights, and I'm like, I wonder what it is to go to Pittsburgh. And it said $130 or $120 round trip. I'm like, that's ridiculous. There's a catch. There was a catch. You got to pay for everything. Your Coke, your peanuts, your carry-on bag, if you have one. If you and wanted to guarantee safety of your children. <laughs> so I got my son and I there round trip for just over 300 bucks, and that's why I pulled the trigger. That's so good. Yeah. And so you told him, no nuts for you. <laughs> <laughs> I I actually no nuts, no bubbles. I I got the Chex Mix. There were no nuts. He got the Pringles. Oh yeah, we're like nut and a, a nut free America when it comes to <laughs> flying, right? And a couple of cokes. Uh, they had nuts on the menu. Oh, okay. Yeah, there was. Yeah, <laughs> I was gonna say there was a nut <laughs> nut sitting next to me, but uh, I really didn't get a chance to talk to her. I just saw she was watching a movie over and over and over again. I'm like, why does she keep rewinding and watching the same movie? <laughs> it was weird for four and a half hours. Um, what movie? It was with uh, all the women's book club or something like that. Uh, women's yeah, book yeah, sisterhood. Yeah, but it's with the older, it's with the, it's with the older ladies, you know, the great actresses of yesteryear. Beaches? <laughs> <laughs> was one of them wearing a pantsuit? Uh, yes. Ooh, that's uh, what's probably Keaton. Maybe Keaton, Diane yes. Keaton. Dude, she's one of my faves. Anyway, she—I don't know if I actually don't know if she was in pantsuit with a turtleneck is usually <laughs> the thing. <laughs> uh, yes. Anyway, uh, I wanted so badly to ask, why are you watching this over and over? It's like it's a—it's a girl. I mean, it's definitely a girl movie. Uh, and she got up to go to the bathroom, and Poor I looked woman. down. She left something on the uh, her chair, and I looked down. I'm like, "What is that?" And it was a little. I couldn't tell if it was a part of the clothing she left there, but it says, um, uh, "It's or this time is ours, or it's our time. It's our time." And I'm like, I'm like putting things together. I'm like, "Oh my gosh, she's one of those." She's like, I'm sitting next to a white man. She's a fembot. He looks so like an oppressor. <laughs> yeah. God. Yes. You guys uh, just can't help yourself. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just started jump to, to random, you know, conclusions that are so liberal. <laughs> like, Did you get out? Oh, that's why. <laughs> What's the character from Office Space that ended up, because he got a settlement, he, oh. he came up with jump to conclusions? <laughs> Did you get your pad? You jump to conclusions, pad out, and you get out in the middle aisle. Oh, yes. <laughs> he made a million. The stapler guy. <laughs> yeah. No, different guy. No? Right? Yeah. He's a different guy. I know what you're talking. You know, he had the same. Oh, you are. You guy. are right. Yeah. You are right. Yes. Also kind of a shorter, roundish he had, white man. He had a whole contraption around him from his million-dollar suit from yes. being hit coming out of the driveway. But he finally got to make his... Jump to conclusions. Oh, that was after he tried to kill himself in the and garage, right? I, yes, and I was jumping to conclusions. I just wanted so badly to be like, yep, she's studying how to be a female from this movie. I hope you took that whole armrest, didn't even give her an inch of it. <laughs> she took it. It's Jeff, it's how, her time. Could you, Jeff? It's her time. Mm. But then when she got up to go to the bathroom, I took the back part of the backrest. But then she boldly went up and took the the other half. Strong showing. Yes. 
<sighs> well, that's a special time for you and your son. Yeah, it was. It was your your oldest. Fantastic. Was that kind of the equivalent of him becoming a man? Have you talked to him about masturbation yet? I was really leaving that dead silence for effect, but you well, ruined I just it. shit on it. Sorry. <laughs> you didn't. You didn't shit on it, as you say. You. Uh, I'm not a mind reader, uh, Jeff. Um, Scott's playing the didgeridoo. Well, if you've made it this far, guys. I almost had, I almost had latte come out of my nose there. <laughs> anyway, it was fantastic. <laughs> anyway. We had, we had a great time. I mean, just walking around before and... Even the hotel, it was electric. I mean, Steeler fans everywhere, and then scattered Patriot fans at the hotel. It was packed, and every hotel was sold out. The it was pandemonium the night before everywhere. Uh, there was about a thousand cars that came into our hotel parking lot. It was it was kind of full, and then it ended up just being a party central. We never went downstairs, but there were so many cars and buses pulling, and I'm like. What is going on? The crazy thing is uh, they got out of there two hours, three hours later, and most of the cars are gone. But then the next morning, you got to the stadium, man. It was it was electric. It was awesome. And then to watch the Steelers, gosh, when that ball flew over Gronk's hands for the last play, it was like usually, I mean, how does every Tom Brady game end with 15 seconds left right yeah and a couple weeks ago they lost to somebody and Gronk dropped a couple passes too that's dolphins they yeah they i feel like there's a little magic coming off the steelers train you know and the pats that's what i meant (laughs) did i say steelers you didn't let me finish patrons yeah patrons anyways yeah. yeah, that's special. I'm glad you did that. That was fun. And the tickets were probably more than your plane tickets, but uh, we don't have to say. Just man, a little bit. Don't tell us <laughs> they look good. Why. I'm telling you, man. I I was watching the game and just thinking of you and how special it was. Plus, on behalf of you, rooting with every fiber in my essence against Tom Brady, which I do anyway, but it was extra special because you were there. And then seeing as the clock went down Ugh. and you posted that video of you and your son, just the screaming. I'm like, I've got to capture the end of this game. There's this. something about that. It's almost like a worship experience. <laughs> <laughs> I have goosebumps on the top of my head right now just thinking about it. <laughs> just the top of his head. Yeah. I can confirm his arm hair is just laid flat, <laughs> totally flat. <laughs> the eyebrows are staying at attention, though. All right, we're, we're, what, 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 what? That's Scott, all, folks. how are you? Good. That's good. great. Yeah. That's good, getting Scott. some good sleep. Oh. I got this fake Fitbit, and it's telling me I'm getting about an hour and a half, two hours of uh, deep sleep a night. I don't know if that's accurate. Maybe it's because you have a fake Fitbit. What did you buy <laughs> that at the corner? Lying to me, yeah. You got it online? Oh, yeah. Okay. I'm pretty sure that was a stutter. Did it say fake Fitbit? It sounded like he said fake Fitbit. Yeah, fake Fitbit. Why do you have a fake Fitbit? It was 30 bucks. You can't trust the And why thing. did you have to call it a fake Fitbit? 
Well, because it's a device that I wear on my wrist. <laughs> and your first, your first question would have been, was well, it a Fitbit? Is it a watch? Uh, it, it has that function. So it was made in China. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and they're listening to us. And they're listening to you. <laughs> right. And are you wearing it right now? Yeah. Oh, you are. It looks like a Fitbit. Oh, it does. Mm. It is an actual fake Fitbit. Yeah. It looks good. It's probably like injecting lead into your wrist right now. Probably. It's, it's does, it, sleep. does it say say Fitbit, but like with two eyes or something yeah. like feet, that? Fitbit. Fitbit. <laughs> Fitbit. It. Does it? Does your Fitbit track your steps? Yeah, my Fitbit. This is entertaining. It does, yeah. This is great. We have a guest Sorry, coming folks. up. We have a guest coming up right now as Let's soon as I press call. Chuck McKnight, the hippie heretic. Oh, Chuck. We'll get to know Chuck. Such a hippie. In two and two. Very casual. Right, casual with his faith, huh, Scott? See how much shit talking you can get in before <laughs> I, before you actually answer, Scott. Go. One, two, three, go. Yeah, I'm going to... I'm gonna have to defer to the Bible on this yeah. one. Um, <clears throat> Good, because so I just will don't know he. where to start. So will he? This should be fun. Yeah. We don't Here need to talk about the Bible. <laughs> oh, do we? Have hey Chuck? there, how's it going? Chuck, how are you? Good. Do you want a video on or? If you can pull good. it off, that'd be awesome. Sure. It helps with the conversing. Here we yes. go. Ignore all the mess surrounding don't me. Don't worry about it. That is the same. That's the same backdrop as every person we have on. (laughs) I bet we did have a fan hanging down once a few weeks ago, but and you were worried for him getting his head cut. A plethora of books and papers. Well, you easily have the best beard that we've ever spoken to on this podcast. Well, thank you. When did that start, and how do you maintain that? Uh, let's see. Back in 2013, we can't see the bottom when I last cut it. Um, see, yeah, that's good. Right right about here. I couldn't tell you what that is in inches offhand, but uh, (laughs) yeah, um, yeah, it started or I last shaved in like 2013, uh, when I moved out here to Washington State because it's way more normal out here. Um, and I basically just don't do anything to it other than like a paddle brush to, to get out the knots. And it takes care of itself. Awesome. Right. What's a paddle brush? Just like a basic just hair a brush. Re- that I use it on horses. Like, what's that? <laughs> Repeat yourself. You said, do they, do they use Something it? about horses? You yeah. said, do they, they use, use it on, on horses? horses? <laughs> oh, they, they might call it that, too. It's just like, you know, the basic thing. It's got like a rectangular section with nice and a big. bunch of... Yeah. Bench, yeah. Yeah. I got gotcha. you. I have one of those. I can't believe we went into depth on that. You, Scott. <laughs> now, the question is that everyone wants to know is, do you make your own beard oil? Yes, in that I let my body produce beard oil naturally, nice. and it takes care of it. Um, the The trick really is not shampooing the beard. Yeah. Like, don't don't use any kind of soap to strip it out, and then your body will make all the, the beard oil it needs naturally. I like it. Organic. Yeah. Awesome. Maybe that's why my hair is falling out. Maybe I just need to not wash it anymore Stop and let the oils it. just really take yeah, root. Yeah, yeah. Well, you, you want to rinse it out with water at least. Like, don't don't like just let it sit there. But <laughs> yeah, that'd be gross, Jeff. A- any harsh harsh soaps will strip it out further than intended. Yeah, that's what I've heard. I'm so glad we're having a Johnson yeah, and Johnson it, podcast. You dry it out, you get split ends. <laughs> <laughs> An anti Johnson Johnson podcast. <laughs> right. 
Yeah, exactly. I do have, you know, I have a little beard here, but it's about the length where I have to decide to commit to it or it gets cut back. So yeah. only time will tell. But thank you so much for coming on, man. I, it's You bet. I gotta Thanks for having me. butter you up a little bit or a little background. I, I, uh, re- recently we were both at a writer's retreat and I had previously read your blog post on the gospel of wheat or the beautiful gospel and your acronym is wheat, which we'll get into. And you're talking to Ralph Palindo. Hi, Ralph. And it's like ringing bells. Like I was putting it together. Like, wait, I've read that. That sounds familiar. <laughs> and, and then when it dawned on me, it was Chuck McKnight, the hippie heretic. I kind of geeked out a little bit and I'm pretty sure I asked <laughs> you to sign my boobs. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't quite remember that extent, but uh, that was, well, I, I'm glad it was memorable you, for you. Blocked it out. Well, you didn't do it, so that's probably why you don't remember <laughs> it. <laughs> but yeah. it, I was, it, it was funny because I was, I don't know, the, reading posts like that uh, have been pretty helpful for me as I've gone through my, I've been transforming or just kind of testing everything or knowing what sure. I believe, why I believe it. And it, that has created a lot of different shifting and it's people like you that are writing outside of the box that has helped me to know that exploring is okay and these people sure. are not enemies of God or trying to lead people astray. Uh, well, you know, the funny thing is, too, though, the more I press into this stuff, the more I learn just how inside the historic Orthodox box it really is. Um, mm. Now, by all means, I'm I'm all for pushing outside of that box too. But when okay. it comes to the core of the the wheat acronym and what the beautiful gospel is all about, you're actually going straight back to Athanasius and the early church fathers and what they're teaching on all this sort of stuff. And I'm just kind of trying to bring those teachings into a contextual modern application thereof. Okay, I appreciate that. So that he kind of rebuked me a little bit. Yeah. Oh, okay. sorry. No, yeah, not sorry. for rebuke. <laughs> just a. Yeah. <laughs> some people think, think like you know I, I call myself the hippie heretic because it's what other people have called me and it's like whatever if you want to call me that i'll claim it makes a catchy name um yeah but in in terms of this stuff anyway like there's some stuff i'm probably totally heretical on but in terms of this stuff it's actually pretty squarely in orthodoxy so it's kind of fun yeah definitely so the hippie heretic uh we, we're all for alliterations at least in name <laughs> only but where, like, where do you come, what's your background? Where do you come from? How'd you grow up? What was that situation like for you? Uh, so it's actually, uh, born to, in Jamaica to missionary parents, uh, super fundamentalist Calvinist, uh, grew up there till uh, about 16. We left Jamaica, moved back to America. Uh, I went to Bob Jones university. If, uh, any of y'all are familiar with that, it's like the bastion of fundamentalism. Is that a Calvinist? What's that? Is that a Calvinist university? No, they don't take a strong stance one way or another on that particular issue, but very fundamentalist, very conservative. Um, probably less uh, Calvinist than than more so there, but um, and just they, to define terms, what does fundamentalist mean? The way the way you're using it about them. Fundamentalist, um, basically not just having conservative ideologies and theologies but having a very uh, separationist mentality about it and totally excluding anyone who disagrees with you such that um, even like mainstream evangelicals like, you know, John Piper or whatever would be considered kind of a bridge too far to my parents and Whoa. Uh, they're, they're too liberal for them. Wow. Now, now liberal, liberal in like 
music and alcohol, or is there a deeper theological difference? In that, in that? Definitely liberal in, yeah, that sort of stuff. Um, any music with a beat is off limits. Uh, you know, so a lot of that cultural sort of stuff, but also kind of the second degree of separation thing. So like John Piper's individual theology, I think they'd be pretty well okay with. But because John Piper does not separate from the broader uh, uh, ecumenical movement, um, at least not as strongly as my parents would like, he too is iffy, if not off limits. Okay, in ecumenical, like in uh, maybe Catholics and uh, maybe Eastern Orthodox... Uh, sure, that, that yeah. Ca- Catholics yeah. are big, or really any of the mainline uh, denominations. Um, the fundamentalists, as I'm using it, they want to see this hard-line separation from anything that basically isn't exactly their camp. Okay. So what was the impact of your parents' belief on you moving forward at a young age and then where you are now? So growing up, I mean, obviously their beliefs shaped me initially, and uh, definitely gave me a good seed. Um, you know, they pointed me to Jesus, and that kind of branched off into everything else. One of my dad's uh, kind of mantras to me growing up was that I shouldn't trust any anything the preacher says or whatever, and in his mind, mainly he's thinking, you know, the, the worldly ecumenical preachers. But um, don't trust anything a preacher says, uh, go to the Word of God and trust what it says. And there again, defining terms, he means by the Word of God, the Bible. Um, but one of the things I've learned as I've grown is that the Word of God, that phrase in the Bible, way more often than not, is referring specifically to Jesus. It rarely, if ever, actually refers to the text of the Bible. So anyway, I, I definitely got the the seed from my parents. I got a, a love of God that I've still maintained, but precisely where I've gone with that is very, very different than where they've landed. Now, are they still kind of in that frame of... Are they still in that camp? Absolutely, yeah. Uh, My dad is currently pastoring a very conservative uh, Presbyterian church in either Maryland or Pennsylvania, I believe. So then how... So do you put, like, big freeway signs, happy heretic, out, you know, a mile away from their church. <laughs> Hippie heretic. <laughs> Hippie heretic. Well, Sorry, what did I say? Happy, happy heretic. heretic. We, we live on the opposite sides of the country, so... Yeah. <laughs> it, uh, you can still purchase, you know. <laughs> that's true. That's true, I could. So I'm be- just joking Before around. we go on, I, I keep we keep forgetting to do this. Uh, Jeff is to my left, just so you know. That's Jeff. I'm Hi, Zach. Jeff. And then Scott. Zach. Ask up. Yeah. Um, so you moved all the way across the country. <laughs> was there, you know, maybe that's a metaphorical space between you guys in addition to theological space, but <laughs> was there a moment that triggered, like, why did you move away or was there a catalyst for a shifting away from your theology or the, the belief in God that you were given? So... Going back to my background, after Bob Jones University, I went to work for a while for Answers in Genesis. Uh, that's like Ken Ham, yeah. the Ark Park, Creation Museum, all that sort of stuff. So again, very uber-fundamentalist. Um, not so much Calvinist there. Again, they don't really take a stance on that issue. He has the Ark but, um, that is currently emblazoned with rainbows. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that great? He's taking the rainbow I love back. It. Um, 
Yeah, and the arc was actually they they were starting uh, like pre development on that while I was there, and then actually started breaking ground shortly after I left. Um, so my my theological uh, shift started happening while there at Answers in Genesis. What did you? Do? Um, I'm so, sorry to interrupt you. What did you do for Answers in Genesis? Oh, I uh, started off as an intern and then worked for a while in the web department. Okay, um, web editing, uh, content stuff. So, and I, I authored a couple of the articles that used to be on their website. They've taken them down by now, but uh, <laughs> it's kind of fun. Yeah, sure. um, so, some of the earliest things to change were like I rejected Calvinism. Nothing too heretical, just kind of shifted over to the Arminian side. Uh, I started getting into house church, uh, sort of like organic house church type of stuff, um, which that one really freaked my parents out. Answers in Genesis was okay with it. Um, but then the big one that got me in hot water was I started rethinking uh, the nature of hell. And at that time, I was starting to lean toward a conditionalist view, the idea that uh, instead of people being tortured for eternity, they will simply be burned up and then they will cease to exist. Um, and that was the one that, that got me in trouble with Anson and Genesis. Uh, basically, they gave me the ultimatum that I need to come to a firm decision on this one way or another. And if I could not actually affirm eternal conscious torment as is in their statement of faith then i would have to resign from there and ultimately that's what happened and then a new job brought me out to washington state i got a follow i got a follow-up question regarding the um answers and genesis um workplace how does that come to be sure i mean how does it come to be that that like uh, so i have my beliefs but i i mean i discuss them with some people but other people i i don't so what would, what did that look like where you got into a conversation with someone and next thing you know, they're asking you to change or leave? Well, you know, that's kind of fun. Um, I don't know exactly how it came about um, or, or who, who was the one to uh, bring it about anyway. Uh, um, but so it was just kind of something I was pro processing privately and uh, exploring some different blogs that talked about it. And there was this one blog that uh, they basically made the case that they weren't even like coming down strong in one direction or the other, but basically making the case that they saw the exegetical evidence at the moment lining up more strongly on the conditionalist side. And basically all they were saying was the, the more traditional uh, views of hell, they need to get on their exegetical game and just make some stronger points. And so I made a comment on that blog post basically saying, I agree. Uh, I think there's a much stronger exegetical case here. I'd love to see the other side uh, nail down their arguments better and have something more to work with. Someone, I don't know who, someone in Answers in Genesis saw my comment on that post and reported it to my superiors, and I got called into the office, and the whole thing kind of snowballed from there. And they were like, we have a bill Jeez. nigh on our hands. You're out of here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, we you know, the funny thing is, I, I became a total heretic after leaving, largely because of being forced out the way they did that, if they had have just let it slide and let me hold my private conditionalist views, I likely would still be more or less in line with them otherwise. But uh, Ooh, joke's on them. Joke's mm. on them. Yeah, we had Preston Sprinkle on, and, and you know, he wrote the, the book Rethinking Hell with Francis Chan. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and in the book, at the time of writing, he the conclusion of the book was that you know they, they, they concluded that... He, Eternal conscious torment was the exegetical view, but um, during our our interview with uh, Preston Sprinkle, I think he said that he has n he has changed his mind um, 
a little bit on that at least. Uh, I, I'm not sure exactly. We we didn't get into the yeah, details for sure. of that, but, uh, but at the time, it, I think yeah. he was kind of like softly, like ex- like not coming out definitively, but kind of exploring that. And I think yeah. since then, he's probably more definitive. Yeah, yeah, he he's very definitive at this point. I think he actually edited the recent uh, four views or whatever views on Hellbook, and um, he's calling his view terminal punishment, I believe. Um, but as far as I can tell, it's more or less exactly the same as conditionalism. He might have a few nuances here and there, but uh, yeah, he's pretty strong on that at this point. Oh, okay. And erasing hell actually is pretty interesting because um, that was actually one of the first books that prompted all this for me. Um, because, yes, they do in the book ultimately say we think eternal conscious torment is the correct view. But they were also surprisingly gracious toward uh, annihilationism, conditionalism, saying that uh, we see it as a slight possibility, basically. Um, we can't completely rule it out on biblical grounds, but we think the weight lies on the other side. So even just kind of having that little slip of permission to be like, oh, well, this is at least worth looking at. Uh, that was a, a prompting, one of the prompting points for me. Yeah, and I, I think that um, the 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 biggest um, maybe disagreement is not might not be on the eternality of it, like like uh, in, in as far as duration, but whether or not God actually judges people. And I and so I I think for for some people who hold to ECT that if you're not denying that God's going to judge people in 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 a negative way, um, then it's, you know, it, there, there, there's a discussion there, but once you, uh, once you have, once you deny that there's no, that there's, that there's judgment, then that becomes, that becomes a disagreement, let alone the duration of, of the conscious torment. Chuck, can you hear us? Connection is poor. Uh, yeah. Chuck got cut off. So that's interesting. I, I I didn't know that about uh, Preston that he um, uh, that he's come out with some I guess more firm statements. I have to look that up. Uh, maybe we can have him back on. Zach, get on that. Getting getting Preston back on. Do uh, I remember? I remember when we when we interviewed him, and uh, he, right. he he made a statement, and then I I quoted the book. Right. <laughs> Which and that's the 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 quote I did from the book was like it was one of the more Firm statements uh, affirming eternal conscious torment, and then I quoted that, and he's like, "Well, yeah, you know, we can all we all we can all change our mind," and so I just like, okay, well, I'd like to see, I'd like to know why though, why why he changed his all mind. Right. In case you missed it, we uh, we lost we connection lost with Chuck, Chuck, so we're gonna reconnect. <laughs> we're gonna try to reconnect right now. Hey, Scott. I'm, yes, sir. I'll do it, but if you say ECT one more time, you're gonna punch me in the face. <laughs> there Whoa. he is. We Chuck. lost you. Sorry about that. My what internet the, flaked on me. What is the last thing you heard? I think it was God telling Scott. We to keep thought his you concise. actually went into, <laughs> as Scott would call it, ECT. There. Uh yeah. The last thing I said was that the real divide is between whether or not God judges something like that. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I just I mean, that's just for my own my own edification there. Good. I'm yeah. glad you yeah. But, e, but Jeff, ECT, I, I totally forgot what I was gonna yeah. ECT ask is, Chuck now. is eternal conscious torment. That's what ECT is. I do kn- Are you Scott, down with ECT? Scott. <laughs> you, <laughs> you know me. When you say ECT, <laughs> there's people out there that are 
Oh gosh, I'm acronymed out in this world. I'm I'm checking out. <laughs> well, we're just getting started. So ch- yeah, Chuck, Chuck, yeah, right. Show notes. Um, yeah, nobody be afraid to ask. Okay, what does that acronym mean, or what? Like, not okay, boys and like girls. Scott. All of you for you know. <laughs> no, but I mean, for the <laughs> listeners, I guarantee you, Chuck will speak in a language that Scott will understand. And I'm probably like a step below that, and then Jeff will be like, "What? Wait, what the hell are you say? talking about?" So, <laughs> so don't be afraid to define things. All right. Okay. So, do you have a comment on what Scott said about the argument? Not was it not being that there's some sort of wh- whatever the eternality means, but that God judges people? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a, a basic divide, and then and then once you get to that, it's yeah. Is it a comment or question? Whatever, whatever you want, whatever. So yeah. Chuck, well, I yeah, I I totally agree. I've actually um another blog post I did at one point called it Twenty Five Views of Hell," um, and I, I made basically exactly that argument that typically we try to divide it up by the duration of the punishment, and you can kind of split it into like five different views there. And my argument was really more that it has to do with the nature of justice and what God is doing in this. Is he just retributively punishing people or is he trying to restore them? Um, and I I broke it up into another like five ways there and five times five, roughly 25 views of hell. Kind of a fun way to do it. But yeah, <laughs> totally agree with you. I, I So I, I want to go back. The fundamentalists, would you say that someone is a someone who is a fundamentalist doesn't want to have a discussion outside of the box of what they believe. I think it's going to vary on the fundamentalist. You will find some who are slightly more open-minded on that. But generally speaking, if they want to have a discussion, it's going to be a I want to win an argument and or convert you to my way of thinking. It's not so much going to be a I might actually learn something from you type uh, of conversation. So your parents they would say uh you we're not having this discussion, or would they be open to having a discussion? Oh, they, they try to have discussions with me all the time, but it's very much a, you are wrong and need to repent, and okay. this is what the Bible says, and this is just kind of what it needs to be. Okay. And you, using your definition, then, r- roughly, of fundamentalist, it sounds like somebody, whatever you would call yourself theologically, um, there are fun, probably fundamentalist versions of you, there's probably fundamentalist versions of any type of political belief, right? It's not just typically sure. we, we see yeah. it as like a conservative thing, but I think there's versions of it that probably go beyond. Yeah, that. I, I think that you can make an argument for that. I'm I mainly do have in mind the conservative Christian fundamentalist, but right. yeah, you could have a fundamentalist of just about anything, like a generic generic term. Thanks for neutralizing sure. my my question. <laughs> I was really trying to isolate. I wanted to bring it back on top of the fence. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. I just so wanted we were, to upset we were still some in people. Your, we were still in your history. Uh, the so Ken Ham, it sounded like they, they it kind of backfired. Like you, it's interesting that nobody nobody asked you what you believed and why. Like maybe you had a reason for believing, changing your view on hell. Well, I did give somewhat of an abbreviated uh, thing. There, there were several conversations and. Uh, but again, there wasn't so much a, we might be wrong on this, and can you help us understand why you believe this, so much as a, here's what we know the Bible says, and this is just the way it is, type of conversations. And um, the, the one guy in particular, they had me sit down with and have these conversations, and he, he was actually a 
more open-minded than some, but he basically just, to any of the uh, exegetical arguments I brought up, was like, he just didn't have any sort of answer at all to give. And it's just like, this is what the Bible teaches, and that's just that. Uh, no, I was just thinking maybe they would give him just one last chance. Just, you know what? 40 days, 40 nights, work on our ark, and after that time, time served, we'll, we'll consider We'll consider yeah. keeping you employed. Well, and, and again, I, I am kind of abbreviating because we're just talking quickly here. I think it was something like six weeks they gave me to make up my mind one way or another. Oh, wow. So, I mean, it. <clears throat> in fairness, they were yeah. a, about as gracious as right. you could be coming from that perspective. Totally. Um, you know, I, I don't hold any particular grudges yeah. against them for it. It's They have a statement of faith, and that's what their ministry is about. So, yeah. you know, I get it. But, and I'm just having fun. <laughs> Sure. Yeah. So, did you did you pick um, answers in Genesis for a particular reason? And um, now, the Ark wasn't one of their main things in the from the beginning, but um, you know, the Ark represents God's judgment on the earth. Um, did that did that change at all uh, throughout your? Uh, you know, whatever doctrinal transition or evolution you've made, evolution, you know, pun pun intended. Are, are you asking? Are you asking whether Anzus and Genesis evolved in that while I was there, or oh. whether their presentation of the Ark affected my theology? Well, more more like, did you did your view of uh, the Ark and the judgment of the flood in the Old Testament? Did that view change uh, in in the in that time? Uh, I don't know. Well, yes and no. Okay, so another another theological shift that happened for me while at Answers in Genesis that wasn't a breaking point with them in itself was that I moved to more of a uh, kind of nonviolent pacifist perspective. Um, and so that started raising questions about Old Testament violence and the flood in particular. I didn't have a particularly great answer for those quite yet. Um, I don't know, bring Preston Sprinkle again. He was actually fairly big in a lot of my uh, theological shifts. His book, Fight, um, a, a Christian Case for Nonviolence, something like that, uh, was pretty big for me at the time. And he basically has like a, um, oh, what's the word? Uh, that's not the word he uses, but it basically got accommodates to human violence. And that was the overall paradigm for the Old Testament stuff. And I forget exactly what he did with the flood. Um, so those things were definitely being troubling in my mind at that point. It wasn't until after leaving Answers in Genesis that I got any kind of firm direction on those for myself. But they were they were there in the back of my mind, yeah. Okay. All right, let's start to fast forward here. So you, you come over to... So you move, mm-hmm. or is there something in between there of you... You left that spot, and and where did you end um, up? So uh, that was in Kentucky, by the way, okay. is where Anzus and Genesis yep. is located. And uh, so hung it there for a while, basically just looking for another job. Um, did a little bit of contracting. Actually, Anzus and Genesis let me do a little bit of contracting after the fact to get my feet back on the ground, because you can apparently work as a contractor without signing the statement of faith, but not as an employee. So kind of a fun distinction. <laughs> but... Um, Eventually found a full-time job for Lagos Bible Software, which is now branded Faith Life, and that's what brought me out to Washington State. Oh, cool. That is my chosen study Bible on my phone. 
Yeah, good stuff. Can you get us a discount on the, some logos? Uh, I, I totally could have. <laughs> I'm not an employee there anymore, unfortunately. But uh, I could have got you. If you know any employees, there's like a 75% discount on a base package. It's it's actually pretty substantial. That is yeah. substantial so because... Like grand, right? Well, I mean, the package itself is like a grand. Some right? of them are, yeah, yeah, depending on how far up you go. Maybe describe the software briefly because that... It is so robust. Like you can go so deep, and it is very expensive if you want to go deep. Sure. I mean, I I don't know where even to begin describing it. It's it's Bible software, but it's got commentaries and dictionaries and literally anything in that realm you might possibly want. Um, all theological the monographs. You know, it's all yeah, all the languages. Not not even just Greek and Hebrew, but you know, Aramaic and Chinese and everything. Um, it's. It's a fantastic piece of software. It is expensive to some degree, um, but the thing is, the expense really comes in the purchasing of licenses for the individual resources. The software itself is technically free. Uh, you can download it and get a handful of free resources with it that you won't be able to do much with, but you can get started that way. Um, but yeah, if you know someone who works there, hit them up for the employee discount or the friends friends and family discount, yeah, and that will that will be the way to do it. The- they're probably going to hate me for <laughs> announcing this in a public podcast, but I don't work there anymore. Yeah. So, so I, I use there's a, there's a program called eSword, and you can get that, mm-hmm. and that's for free, and and that'll have a, a, a few tools. You can get the Greek and the Hebrew with the Strong's numbers, and uh, it has the Anti Nicene Fathers. Uh, it didn't have Athanasius though. It doesn't go that far. You have to you have to go really? somewhere else for that. Yeah, it ends at, it ends at hmm. the uh, somewhere in the three hundreds. Early 300s, but um, that's a good infomercial. Scott. Sort, yeah, I imagine someone's made a Athanasius module for it because I know his stuff is in the public domain. Oh, really? I have to uh, I have to look and see if uh, yeah, maybe I maybe or maybe I just missed it. But uh, yeah, eSword's good stuff too, though. Yeah. Uh, that was my primary Bible software before getting it free because I worked for Lagos. Yeah, so yeah, that's getting that's Lagos free really because cool. I worked for them. That is. <laughs> yeah. So you right, did a little forward, l- did a little contract and did a little this and that, and then where does that take you? Uh, so yeah, out here to Lagos Bible Software. I worked here for a couple of years before they had like a seventy-person layoff in one day, just because oh. of financial stuff, I guess. And uh, just kind of a little bit of this and that since then. But um, we're talking mainly about theological shifts, I suppose. Yeah. So let's see, what would be the next? I guess the the biggest next one would be inerrancy. And, you know, the concept that the Bible is perfectly true in every word that it says. Um, and that was one that the violence factor, the Old Testament violence, was a, a big a big player in that. And just overall reconciling the teachings of Jesus with so many other parts of the Bible, uh, realizing that there, uh, from my perspective anyway, there, there are actual contradictions in the Bible that don't just work together. One of them has to take precedence over the other. Um, Derek Flood's book, Disarming Scripture, was a, a big breaking point for me on, on that particular issue. And then uh, after removing the inerrancy barrier, you know, floodgates kind of open and yeah. anything's fair game, so to speak. <laughs> yeah. uh, all, all the warnings the fundamentalists yeah. gave are true. That's what, <laughs> that's what, that's what, I, uh, that's what I think, too. Which what? is like... It, it, the slippery slope. Don't get on the slippery slope. <laughs> what, what was the, what was Derek Flood's? Oh, disarming scripture. <clears throat> yeah, that was a good book for me as well. It w- it was helpful. I I had a pretty. I'm not going to go into it, but I had a 
pretty painful, at least inwardly. I didn't do a lot outwardly or reject things outwardly so much, but uh, inwardly it felt pretty painful stripping away some of those layers of things I felt were completely oh, sure. true. How, how did you avoid yep. losing your faith? Because this is what we're talking about is the way a lot of people do lose their faith. Sure. Um, I don't know. It's, it's kind of hard to say. I, I get, I talk with people about that a lot. And to me, losing my faith in God just never seemed like a thing to do. Like my, my faith in God is based uh, as much on a, a mystical personal relationship as anything else. And that's always been true for me. Um, so whether or not the Bible is true, like that's a big deal. And it is scary in that, you know, if the Bible is not perfectly true, then what is the final authority? You've got to kind of revamp that whole system and find a new way to work through that. Uh, but in terms of just rejecting God altogether, like that's honestly never really crossed my mind as a possibility for me because I feel that relationship. It's, it's just not something that, um, is, has ever been based on a book to that extent. I'm so happy for you. <laughs> <laughs> and a little bit jealous. <laughs> <laughs> and I know that's not everyone's experience. And I... Right. Different people experience God in different ways. And I think that's... I know that's completely okay. Yeah. Did... did um, Was there a significant change in your view of Jesus? Uh, yes... And no, like more of a, a clarified view of Jesus. Like, I don't know that, like elements changed. Like I, I no longer saw him as the Mark Driscoll prize fighter Jesus who, you know, comes back in Revelation to kill everyone and destroy all the earth. Um, but that was really more of a reinterpretation of the book of Genesis and a realizing that the violent imagery is actually being subverted and flipping it on its head and you know, the blood is actually Jesus' blood shedding. He's shedding. It's not the blood of his enemies. Um, but definitely getting kind of a clarified view of just the heart of Jesus' message, which is all about love and forgiveness. And what's up? Uh, we might have yeah. to have him go to, to just audio. Oh. You're cutting out now. Come back, Chuck. Come back to fundamentalism. <laughs> Chuck. Chuck. All right, I'm just going to Do call you him. hear me, Chuck? Conservatism is calling you back, Chuck. <laughs> All right. <laughs> we lost him. Oh, this is fun. Bros, Bibles, and beer, creating sacred space. He was hey, everybody out there. I just want to say thank you so much for listening. We were listening uh, through our studio headphones they're the most incredible headphones, and they've got Neva going on right now. If you put Bros15, you'll get a 15% discount at the promo code. studio.com. Hey, the Nevas... Whatever. Hey, just for clarification. The, the Nevas are not the... The Nevas are a specific style of headphones right. that are completely wireless and earbuds, light. individually wireless the charge time is three and a half hours, but they come with a case and that you, holds multiple charges. Yeah, and you you can't even feel them. I mean, they're just they're just sitting there. They're like on popcorn. the side of your head, in your ear, they're like popcorn hey, let, without butter. No, no, and don't break out of Trump. Let Jeff do Trump. Go with, ahead, talk with, about headphones. You know, you know, Scott. They shit. They shit. 
on your ears. You can't even feel them. You can't feel them. It's just terrible. It's a terrible Trump right now. Terrible. It's like Chinese got me. I'm all locked up. I can't even do this. Somebody, not somebody, get my studio, studio get my studio headphones, (laughs) get my studio Nevas, get them in there, keep them in there. They're amazing. They're made. I don't even care what the Chinese do. They're amazing. I bet the Chinese made these (laughs) in production. If they did, okay, they're fantastic. They're fantastic makers of all of our things in the America. The fifteen percent. Discount code just covers the tariffs. Studios never calling us back again. Hey, you need headphones. You want headphones for Christmas, the holidays. Studio.com. Promo code BROS15. Check them out. Thank you, Studio, for giving us this opportunity. Oh, man. I wear my studios to bed. I don't have to hear my little kid screaming and crying. God, they're soundproof. They're beautiful. Bros, Bibles, and beer, creating sacred space. Jesus right, is amazing. Well, hey, can you hear me now? Yes, and I'm just going to turn off the video. I don't know if you want to do that, too, or if that's what you did. Yeah. Yeah, that'll probably help. Yeah, we'll try that, see if that works a little better. All right. Well. All right, so where did I cut off this time? You cut off at G. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus? Somewhere? Um... Well, I think basically I was just saying that, you know, it's more a clarified uh, yes. understanding of the core of what he's about, which isn't this whole saving people from hell message. It's about just love and forgiveness and doing unto others what you would have them do unto you. And that's really the heart of everything, in my opinion. Um, and, you know, Paul comes back to that, too, a bunch of times. And most of the apostles get to that at one point or another, you know, that love being the royal law of scriptures. And if you do this, you're doing well. Um, love fulfills the law. Love is the only thing we need. Uh, and that has become the new lens through which to look. It's not a matter of the biblical inerrancy whereby you have to parse out the verses and get all the exegetical details right. And then once you're completely sure you have the interpretation right, which of course you don't, then that's the truth. Uh, rather, it's interpreting everything through the principle of love and the the overarching messages that Jesus taught and does this align with what Jesus says God is like. Okay. So a lot of that stuff I know I'm sure we'll get into as we explore uh, your acronym wheat, the, the the beautiful gospel, the gospel of wheat. I don't know if you'd call it the gospel of wheat, but it's an acronym is refuting too strong of a word to re- refute some of the other acronyms like Calvin's tulip. How did you get to that? Like what was the catalyst for getting there? Yeah, so refuting, um, more like just a, a complimentary Ooh, I like uh, it. acronym, because it's. I'm not expecting this book to be the one that like the end all def- <laughs> defeats Calvinism once and for all. Uh, but for those who hold to this beautiful gospel, I wanted a more systematic way of presenting it that just lays lays things out in an orderly fashion, like Tulip does, and so. Each point roughly corresponds to the point of Tulip, and you could say it's a refutation thereof, and the book, of course, is going to get into some of that, but it's not really meant so much to attack Tulip as to just give an alternate way of viewing things. Um, And you're asking, like, do I call it the the gospel of weed or the beautiful gospel or whatever? Um, Beautiful gospel is a phrase I'm borrowing from Brad Drzak and Brian Zond. Uh, They're some of the main voices who have presented this this overall view. 
in their writings. And mine is a, again, it's just a, a sort of systematic way to put that view, the ancient view that Athanasius and the early church fathers taught, into a acronym that makes it easier to remember and uh, explain. So reading, uh, reading your blog post, you kind of explain Tulip and... There's also, da- is it Daisy or Daisies? Daisy and Rose? Daisy, yeah, Daisy and Roses. Yeah, roses. so there's a... What is Tulip, there's an, da- Daisy, and Roses for the uh, uninformed? So Tulip is the, the famous Calvinist five points. Uh, it stands for total depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, and then the perseverance of the saints. Um, Daisy is a... Arminian acronym that roughly parallels that. Roses is a Molinist acronym that roughly parallels that. Jeff, one of the things Daisy. I found out, though... Jeff's Daisy. <laughs> one of the things I found out, though, in uh, doing the original blog post is that a lot of Arminians hate Daisy and a lot of Molinists hate Roses. So I'm actually not going to rely too much on, on those ones for the book. I'm going to stick with Tulip. And I'll respond to Arminianism to some degree as well. But uh, I'm actually more going to follow. There's another one called the FACTS acronym, acronym F-A-C-T-S, um, which is actually put out by the, I think, Evangelical Society of Armenians or something like that. Hmm. Um, so it's a bit more of a reliable source. Daisy is just something some random person made up, and some people like it, some people don't. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, and Tulip, Tulip I, I think Tulip, and originally it was Tip where they put... Uh, unconditional election first and then limited atonement and then total depravity and then that, and then they rearranged it later on is that uh that could be um so it actually all started back with the the synod of dort i believe it was uh which was the like way back when the armenian response to calvinism this is like the 1600 like early 1600s yeah, yeah. 1600 something and uh, they presented five points uh, responding to Calvinism. And the interesting thing was uh, they consider themselves Calvinists. Arminian, or Arminians consider themselves a Calvinist. They were operating fully within that paradigm and basically just saying these five points we're going to clarify a bit and separate ourselves from official Calvinism, even though we consider ourselves a part of the same thing. Now, the Calvinists didn't like that. Uh, they considered them her- possibly heretics, but misinformed at best definitely not well part of the same group and so they responded with uh you know five more points responding to the the points of the senate of dort and then um those points were not tulip at the time but later on in i think like the 1900s early 1900s someone turned that into uh a more memorable form with the acronym and it's kind of stuck around since then yeah and i think dort was Somewhere in the Netherlands or something, hence tulip, something like that. Jeff was just telling me about that. Yeah. Um, now, <laughs> I find it funny that you you were questioning what, or just commenting that they 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 then switched it around. Like, did it matter, Scott? Like, hey, you have English first period, math second period. You're like, you know what? <laughs> I do better when I have math first uh, period first thing in the morning. What what was the comment for? They hired a new yeah. publicist who decreed that tulip was... <laughs> It'll stick. It will well, stick. The flower reference well, sticks. Jeff, Got Jeff, it. Well, Jeff, since you ask, 
No, no, it's not a two-hour podcast. Let's continue. <laughs> well, we'll talk about it later. We can. Asked. Well, you, but you asked. No, but I don't really care. Oh, okay, but it, it does. Speaking of which, how how yeah. long is this podcast supposed to be? Because I, I listened to a sample episode and I went to my the one with my friend Keith Giles, who's co-authoring this book with me. Ooh, nice. And it's like three hours long, and I'm <laughs> yeah. I'm just wondering we're is this to, is this going to be a three-hour podcast? We're I, we're I don't, don't know do how ourselves. much I'm signed up for. We here. don't want to. So we don't want it to be. Keith, yeah, Keith Giles. <laughs> Bless his heart. I love that guy. He came over here. It was before he moved and he came to my house and we just talked. And so that was a little bit longer than normal, but really it's it's mainly how you're doing. Um, You know, obviously we can't go all night, but uh, we got time as long as you have time. Well, let's get to the wheat part of it. All right. Yeah, I guess my question too, trying to harness my inner Jeff is uh, all these technical terms and the the acronyms, like, why does it matter to just somebody, t- to some random person that is a Christian and thinks more people should be Christians and they're not sure how to do it? Or maybe they're like, oh, I should, probably should tell people about Jesus, but I I don't do that enough. Like, a lot of people don't sure. even think about things in the way that you're phrasing them. And Scott, Scott and I speak this language and get a kick out of it. But why does it matter to the lay person, as it were? So if you are... Uh, within an average evangelical denomination or whatever, and you're just living your life and you are living in love as best as you can and you have this traditional view of God and that's sitting fine with you, then that's great. I'm not out to change your mind or force you into some new system of belief. But many of us, myself included, as we've been on this journey and pressed into these things, we found that the traditional evangelical way of understanding God and exploring these aspects of theology just doesn't cut it. Uh, It doesn't, in my opinion, align with scripture. It doesn't align with reason. It doesn't uh, fit with the picture of God revealed in Jesus. And so for those who, like myself, are looking for a better, more beautiful gospel that, again, in my opinion, actually does align with scripture and reason and the ancient church and uh, the picture we see in Jesus. Uh, I hope that this will be something helpful. Um, and if it's not anyone's cup of tea, that's that's fine with me. Again, I'm I'm not so much looking to refute and convince people who are already convinced of something else. If that happens, great. But that's not really my goal. That's cool. Yeah, and I, I think with the acronyms, it, it's not it, the point is not to get caught up in the acronyms. The acronyms are a way to condense scripture in a way that's something that's that you can remember and help you to kind of like the creeds yeah help you to organize it in your mind and and like we're like you know chuck was talking about um uh the council of dort well it it, their responses to questions that come up um just like the trinity the trinity is a response to uh, the 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 objection to the deity of Christ, and so it, the, these are th- things that develop in order to help us with the doctrine of you know sixty six books. How, how do you how do you uh, how do you, how are you supposed to think about sixty six books all at once? And it, so it's just a way to it's a way to help people to to structure structure scripture in their mind. And generally, I think yep. people yep. people don't realize it, but they kind of fall generally into these camps, yeah. whether they know it or not. No, that's good. Yep. It's good. So, what <clears throat> is wheat? 
and uh, what makes it what makes it different? What makes it beautiful? You're cutting out a little bit again there. What was the last thing you said? Mm. What did you hear last? (laughs) What is wheat? You you said the word wheat, and then you cut out. Can you still hear us? I can hear you now. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What What is you You mentioned in one in the blog post that it's beautiful. The beautiful gospel and wheat is without some of the ugly distortions of the other acronyms. What are some of those distortions in your mind, and how does wheat uh, correct those, or or maybe clarify or add a different alternative? Uh, well, one of the big ones that's kind of at the heart of everything is the Augustinian idea of original sin, which is this concept that not only does Adam's sin affect us, but that we are actually born guilty of Adam's sin, and that uh, a punishment needs to be made for this sin guilt that we inherit without doing anything, simply by being born. Um, that's something that you don't see in the early church prior to Augustine, um, at least not fleshed out in the way that he does, and that is completely foreign to Athanasius' way of viewing things. Um, and that branches out into all sorts of other stuff, like penal substitutionary atonement, uh, which is the idea that God has to punish sin, and therefore we have to be punished unless a perfect sacrifice is punished instead of us, which would be Jesus, and therefore God has to punish Jesus to pay for our sin guilt so that we don't have to be punished. And that just gets into all sorts of problematic areas, not the least of which is the simple fact that Jesus consistently teaches that we are to forgive unconditionally as God forgives unconditionally. But this idea of penal substitutionary atonement means that God doesn't actually forgive us in any sense. Uh, he simply puts the payment on someone else, which that's not that's not forgiveness, that's just transference of debt. Um, and then we get into broader issues of like hell, and wheat doesn't get so much into a specific view of hell, but it definitely it gives hope for a universal uh, reconciliation, universalism. Um, there are some versions of annihilationism that could potentially fit within the wheat paradigm, depending on, uh, again, more that question of what's the purpose going on here? Is God retributively punishing, or is it just sort of a natural thing that some humans basically opt out of life and don't want a part of it. That's a possible way to fit in there. Um, I feel like I'm kind of rambling off track. That's okay. Uh, <laughs> what, what is, uh, maybe, I guess this is going back a little bit. We should have done this right when we got into wheat. Maybe just, what is the acronym wheat? Just kind of say what the, what each letter means. Sure. Uh, so first is wounded children. Which just responds to the total depravity, or the uh, yeah, to- total total depravity yeah. idea, rather rather than viewing us and our sin as the primary starting point, what God is looking at and the problem needing to be solved, we start with the truth that all humans are God's children, um, and therefore God is dealing with us as any parent would deal with their children, uh, but we are wounded children. Uh, sin does have effects, and it does mess things up, and ultimately it brings about death. So uh, rather than having this total depravity that God needs to punish someone for, it's a matter of we're God's children, 
and we're wounded and God is seeking to heal us from our sin rather than punish for it. Next is uh, human solidarity, uh, opposed to unconditional election, which is this idea that God has from eternity past chosen the elect who will be saved and the reprobates who will be damned. Um, Technically, that's double predestination, and some Calvinists would argue that, but whichever way you want to go on that, God has certainly chosen the elect. And then even Arminianism, God may not have chosen the elect against their free will. It would be more of a God via foreknowledge saw who would accept him and chose the elect based on that foreknowledge. But either way, it has this distinction, the separation between the elect and the reprobates, the saved and the damned. Um, Human solidarity is the idea that humanity stands or falls as one, that we share in a single human nature, and that crucially, in the Incarnation, Jesus stepped into our human nature, and in doing so, he added us to his divine nature. And that's really the the core of where uh, redemption and reconciliation takes place, is in Jesus standing in solidarity with us and fusing his divine nature with our human nature. Then we get to exhaustive, uh, shoot, exhaustive reconciliation, yeah. uh, which is, yeah, my own acronym. Um, <laughs> so that's opposed to limited atonement, uh, which limited atonement is a very Calvinist specific idea that uh, not only does God only save the elect, but the atonement that Christ did on the cross was only specifically for the elect. Um, Arminians would say that the atonement was uh, sufficient for all, but only applied to the elect. Uh, Exhaustive reconciliation is basically just saying, no, everything that Jesus did is for all of humanity. Um, uh, Honestly, a lot of it ties into the same, the the, the human, human solidarity covers a lot of that ground in terms of a strict response to the point in Tulip. Uh, So here we're also getting into a bit of, refuting penal substitutionary atonement and that specific uh, idea of atonement that sees justice as needing to be satisfied and sins as needing to be punished, and instead just showing how God desires all to be reconciled. And uh, again, this idea of sins being something we need to be healed from rather than punished for. Uh, After that, it goes to absolute grace. Uh, Tulip has irresistible grace, the idea that If you are among the elect, God's grace will overpower you, and you basically have no say in resisting it. Um, uh, Absolute grace is the idea that God's grace is poured out in full measure, that it is applied to all people, uh, but it's not an overriding of our free will. God is not a controller. God honors consent, and therefore we have the choice to go along with God's grace and to allow it to transform us or to resist it. And whether or not any individuals will actually be able or even want to resist God's grace all the way to the end, whatever that means, uh, is a question that I'm not taking a strong stance on. My opinion is that no one will do that, that God's grace will overcome all in the end, But given human free will, I can't make a dogmatic statement about that. But what I can state dogmatically is that God's grace is overflowing to all, and that God will pour out his grace to the fullest extent that he can uh, for every individual. Even Scott. And the final one. 
<laughs> yeah, well, he's that, that remains to be seen. So. <laughs> All right. uh, the final one then is Transformative Love, which uh, con- contrasts uh, the perseverance of the saints. Perseverance of the saints being the idea that uh, basically once saved, always saved. If you are saved, then you cannot fall away from grace. If you ever do, then it was just proof that you weren't really saved in the first place. Um, transformative love, rather, is the idea that in as much as we do not resist God's grace, in as much as we cooperate with his, his transforming love, we will be uh, transformed more and more into the image of Jesus. Uh, it gets into the Eastern Orthodox concept of theosis, uh, whereby we partake in the divine nature and uh, ultimately become divinized, in a sense. And that's kind of a tricky one to explain here, because it's not like the Mormon concept of becoming a little god in that that sense. <laughs> but in terms of sharing fully in uh, in Jesus, Jesus' full nature, his divinity, um, basically it, it's somewhat parallel to the Protestant idea of sanctification, but that has a lot of other connotations that aren't exactly what it's about. But that's that's a basic overview of the five points. So Chuck, do you just listening to your breakdown and where that came from, why that came about, um there's always and I'm not saying this is about division, but um with yours, but in other um just looking at the divide between beliefs do you do you feel that we just put too much do you think that people believers put too much emphasis on crossing the t's and dotting the i's yes and no um i i think yes it definitely does happen that we put too much emphasis on that stuff um at the same time i do think that some of the theologies are you know, the, the more traditional ideas with penal substitutionary atonement and eternal hell and all that sort of stuff are legitimately abusive. And again, some people don't experience it that way. And if you're sitting in that theology and that's working for you, that's fine. I'm not, I'm not going to try to convince you out of it. But for many people who come out of it, they perceive it as a distinctly abusive and harmful uh, element in their lives. And to the extent that any theology or anything is causing harm to people, that's when it becomes a really big deal to me. Um, now, in terms of, you know, getting the exact theological points right and, like, you have to get X, Y, and Z in order or you're not a part of us, I, yeah, that's definitely a problem. That happens way too often, and I'm not so much about that. Um, but I also don't want to say that theology is unimportant and that the details don't matter because there's sure. an element where they do. Sure. And for some people, the the idea of like like hearing hearing penal substitutionary atonement and and you're attempting to um, upseat that or show why that's you know less than an ideal view or and potentially abusive to some people you are coming against the very gospel itself. What is atonement? There's different atonement theories, but why are they separate from what the gospel is? Like, and is there, or is there a difference to you? Yeah, they're absolutely different. And, um, to be honest, uh, 
what I'm talking about. I call it the beautiful gospel because that's the best name I know for it. That, like I said, I'm borrowing from Brad Jazak and Brian Zond. Um, but really, that's we're talking about theology here, and the gospel is not so much about theology. The gospel is about a person, Jesus, and about his his life and his death and his resurrection. Um, the the truest presentation of the gospel is in the gospels, the four in the the, the New Testament. Um, the the gospel is found by looking at Jesus, and these uh, theological ways of explaining that further, and uh, having this broader, I'm going to use the word mythology, and by that I don't mean that it's mm-hmm. false, but a a a broader story arc around it is a helpful thing to me at least to some people and it's a way of explaining the elements that the the gospel as in the life of jesus doesn't quite uh point out for us but it's not the same thing and the life of jesus is far more important and attempting to live our lives in imitation of his and to live in the love that he calls us to that's what the gospel at its core is all is all about this stuff we're talking about here is theology, and I do think it's important, but it's not nearly as important. Well, yeah, and, um, you know, trying to make a distinction between the person of Jesus and theology, um, there, there might, at, at some point, as you, you can't really, well, you can't separate, um, who Jesus is from theology to, you know, at, at, at the level of trying to understand and explain who Jesus is, that is a part of theology. Um, sure. And ha- understanding. Hmm. I'm trying, I'm trying. <laughs> so, okay. So just, just, you know, just to be clear, I, I have about six pages of scripture that, <laughs> that I want to bring up, but but we can't do that. <laughs> uh, so I'm trying I'm trying to just pick my you know, but but I, I don't want to derail the conversation. So I, I'm gonna I'll, I'll just I'll just defer for now, and if we have time at the end. Um, well, yeah. I mean he he mentioned all the he mentioned the different letters, um, and I brought up penal substitutionary and how that's is that the gospel is that yeah. different? Like if you have a question related to the letters and what they mean and how that seems to conflict with the scripture if you, in your, in your mind, go for it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's good. Thank you, Zach. Um, so get, get, um, and, and you mentioned, um, Zach, you mentioned the, the, the different atonement theories. One, one of the things like with the discussion of hell though, um, where you might not, we might not talk about the duration and all that, but you know whether or not God judges at all. And so I think the same for 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 the um, why Jesus why Jesus was crucified. Um, and you know when he prays, you know Father, if it's your will that this cup pass from me, um, and then Jesus giving his life willingly for us, um, and then also he dying for our sins. He can he cancels out the certificate of debt that was that was held against us. Um, that were washed clean by his blood. So, uh, when when looking at why Jesus died for us, and then that ends up being what we have faith in, um, 
that that reason of why Jesus died for us is pretty important, and that actually is the heart of the gospel. Um, and you mentioned before, Chuck, um, about you know God uh, about uh, the perfect sacrifice. Um, but I guess I guess the main the the question would be, does God require a perfect sacrifice? Because that that's I don't I don't think there's a question that Jesus was the perfect sacrifice, that and that we could not ever be that so because jesus was crucified and he was the perfect sacrifice uh do do you view that as a requirement from god that would then that so that then jesus righteousness would be attributed to us and then that would get us access to the father through the righteousness of christ i I believe that's what the what what it teaches is that what's your view on that? <laughs> okay, uh, there's at least at least two different elements there there's that like I want to kind of break apart. There. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm going to break it into two. One is the idea that God has this requirement that has to be satisfied, and the other is the idea of us receiving Jesus' righteousness. Actually, I need to jump jump back a little further yet, which is uh, at the beginning of this, you said uh, something to the effect of that. The atonement theory is the understanding of what Jesus did for us and that we place our faith in that. Right at that point, I'm going to disagree with you a little bit. My faith is not in any atonement theory or any understanding of what Jesus did, but in the person of Jesus himself. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, I, and, I, it's in, in, and, and, so and I'm not, not saying you would necessarily... That, I didn't mean to, to separate those two ideas. The, the, there's Jesus. Sure. Here. Right, right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and I, I'm sorry, I'm not trying to say like that that's necessarily what we're saying. I'm, I'm more clarifying, I guess. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the faith is in, in the person of Jesus, in the character of God revealed in Jesus, and in the trust that this God revealed in Jesus has our best interests at heart and will do everything for us that he can. Uh, that's, that's what my faith is in. So then to the question of, does God have this requirement that has to be satisfied? Uh, at that point, I would say no, simply no. Um, it's not, it's not any sort of requirement that God has that we have to meet. It's simply a matter of what our own actions bring on to ourself and what God is therefore trying to save us from. And you, you can view that as a sort of requirement we have to meet, but it's not so much uh, that God is just being arbitrary about it and saying this is just a thing you have to do. It's a matter of God knows what the consequences are and wants to keep us from those consequences. For example, I have a pretty simple rule for my children, don't run out in the middle of the street. Uh, now you could view that as this rule whereby my children simply have to obey that command and not run out into the street, and therefore I will be happy with them. That's all true, but it's not, it's not a matter of uh, them being righteous in my eyes because they're doing this. It's a simple matter of I don't want them to get hit by a car. Mm. And if they do disobey me and run out in the middle of the street, it's not so much that I'll be angry at them for disobeying me as that I will be terrified of them getting hit by a car, and I don't want that to happen to them. Mm -hmm. To the same extent, and any of these requirements God has of us are simply because he knows the consequences of sin, he knows that it leads to death, and he doesn't want that for us. He's trying to save us from the consequences of our sin, from the sin itself that we are embroiled in bringing us toward these these consequences and the the requirement 
is simply a matter of doing that which leads to life rather than that which leads to death. Um, and what Jesus does, well, there's a number of elements you could look at how, how Jesus does it. He, being life himself, he enters into death and thereby overcomes it. Uh, just as light in a dark room cast out the darkness, so life entering into death overcomes death. He therefore rises again, and we get to share in his resurrection, thus eliminating the consequences of sin. The ultimate consequence being death, we get to share in Christ's resurrection and have life. That sounds beautiful. <clears throat> but he also... Yeah. And then he also, through his life and teachings, shows us how, day by day, to live in a way that is not bringing about those things. And uh, that's an ongoing process. Uh, you know, you could get into all these debates with holiness-minded people about whether or not you'll reach that perfection this lifetime or not. And uh, I don't have a strong opinion on that. But I certainly believe it's a purification process. This, this theosis, again, this sharing in Jesus' nature, his divine nature, that goes on throughout eternity, becoming more and more like Jesus, until eventually we reach that point where we are not sinning and we are not doing the things that are destructive to ourselves. Okay. Can I, can I go with well, just three questions? <laughs> make a, the first one's brief. So you say that there's, there's a, f- a few times in there you said we, um, and, we and, and I, would, I would take that as we partaking in Christ. Um, but then uh, the requirement of Jesus... Uh, what, whether or, whether or not this Jesus sacrifices requirement. Now, looking at Hebrews uh, nine and ten, and I, I I forget which times up to your briefness, Scott. <laughs> Get to it. No, I asked. <laughs> um, but Hebrews Hebrews nine nine, nine and ten talks about um, the the um, the tabernacle in heaven, which which the which the tabernacle on earth is a copy of what's in heaven. But Jesus had to go in to the temple in heaven um, to to cleanse that temple with with his blood and that was that was that was done by you know his, his sacrifice and he goes he goes in the temple so whatever whatever humans need um i think that that would be a separate uh that, that's a separate category of jesus sacrifice require uh where i see that there's a there is a requirement for him to go into the temple to cleanse that um now for the question yeah. you're making declarations i know Where's well the i know I, for the que- well i guess the question in there would be well, I, I see that as a requirement which is separate from humanity uh, because the, the, the tabernacle in, in heaven is, is not on this earth. Just jump in anytime, yeah. Chuck. He keeps making <laughs> statements. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm just kind of listening to see exactly where he's going with this. And then well, I'll, yeah, I'll it's, just, it's just more about the, re- the, the, the requirement um, that, well, or the, the necessity of Jesus having to, to die, um, to, be, to be sacrificed, um, I just I just see throughout that that that's a requirement um, for so for our righteousness. Yeah. Correct me if this is unrelated, but let me try to make this a, um, something that ties it it all together. If God can just forgive, why Jesus dying? Is that kind of what you're getting at? Well, yeah, and that would be. Well, that would be another question, but that is that is a question. Um, well, technically, it is a question. Yeah, that that is a is a, a, a separate question. Um, that yeah, I, I would I would have asked that eventually. Probably. Are you asking if Jesus needs to punish? Like you're saying, 
from your perspective, it, it appears biblically that God needs to punish sin. Um, is that what you're saying? That that the that the consequences of sin is death. That Jesus had the power to forgive sin while on earth, um, but when Jesus is not on earth, sin is always associated with faith in Christ's um, death and and resurrection. Um, so yeah, we, we, the the idea that God can f- just forgive sin, I think, in, in my view, that that doesn't work when Jesus, when when once when Jesus is sacrificed, plus all the Old Testament stuff about sacrifice, and that covering sin, and then Jesus coming and fulfilling. Again, that do you have a question him. for Chuck? If there's a question in there. Cheese and crackers, sure. Scott. Good grief. <laughs> yeah. Do you think it do you think uh, did Jesus have to die? Chuck. <laughs> there you go, Jeff. <laughs> did Jesus have to die? <clears throat> yes, because Jesus participated few, fully in human nature and all humans die. Uh if Jesus did not die, he would not have been fully human and would not have shared in our nature, thus allowing us to share in his nature. To that extent, Jesus had to die. Did God require Jesus' death as a payment? No. I don't believe that. Um, again, there's not a whole lot of questions in that, so I'm going to kind of jump to a few things and Please see if it hits on the themes you were talking Throw about. Throw some Chuck. But um, the, you, you were talking about Hebrews uh, 9 and 10 and the the sacrifices and all this. Um, the the crucial verse to, to remember there is Hebrews 9.22, where it says, Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Now, I hear this one quoted all the time, mainly on that last part. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Mm-hmm. But the really crucial part of that comes at the beginning of the verse, where it says, Under the law, mm-hmm. almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And the whole structure of these passages is actually a refutation of that idea that the law got it wrong. Uh, It was not a matter of needing blood to purify. It was not uh, forgiveness is possible apart from the shedding of blood. Under the law, this is how it was. But under Jesus, sacrifice and offering you did not want, but a body you prepared for me. Uh, It's a... A way of understanding God that is certainly present in the Old Testament, but there's there's a dialogue going back and forth there between the necessity for sacrifice and God not not commanding sacrifice. Uh, in Jeremiah, somewhere or another, it says uh, to the effect of, um, when I brought you up out of Egypt, uh, I did not command you concerning these burnt offerings and sacrifices. Um, whereas other, other places, it certainly says that God did command burnt offerings and sacrifices. And then there's a, the quote from Hosea that Jesus goes back to at least on two different occasions, um, that I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Uh, and so there's there's this debate in the Old Testament going back and forth between sacrifice or no sacrifice. And when Jesus comes, one of the things he does is to stand firmly on the side of no sacrifice, but mercy. And to say that this this stream from the Old Testament, both sides were going on there, but this is the one that God is actually standing in. He doesn't desire sacrifice; He just gives mercy. Now, now, when it, when it says so, it says that you know the sacrifice and grain offering you have not required, but a body you've prepared for me. 
Well, that that body is Jesus, and mm-hmm. and that's what Jesus did. He he came to, and he fulfilled the law, and that final act was to sacrifice himself as the ultimate fulfillment of the law. So I I, I don't I don't see that as saying that the old te- that the old law got it wrong that Jesus was actually fulfilling that law as the perfect sacrifice. So I, I think I think that the the passage in Hebrews actually says that that the sacrifice was required but it was it was that Jesus was the sacrifice that was being prepared and he fulfilled that. Because without without that our cuz we 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 look to that as our right we look to Jesus as our righteousness and if and if we're not looking to Jesus as a righteousness then righteousness would come from ourselves so okay yeah on on one hand i do want to step back and say uh stating that the law got it wrong is perhaps a careless way to phrase that because again there's this dialogue going back and forth in the old testament and it's not so much that it lands on one side or the other as that uh jesus steps into the one stream of it um and I want to be really careful, you know, especially in terms of anti-Semitic tendencies and whatnot, not to uh, not to put Jesus opposed to the Old Testament law, because I don't believe that's what he's doing. Again, he's standing in a particular stream of it. Um, so fulfilling the law, when Jesus talks about fulfilling the law, he says that that's accomplished through loving God and loving neighbor and through... Uh, doing unto others as you would have them do unto you. This is all the law and the prophets. So fulfilling the law is not so much about, you know, doing the jot and tittle of what all the myriad commands are, and it's also not so much about the sacrifice. It is about loving our neighbor. And so, yes, Jesus' ultimate sacrifice was a fulfillment of the law because it was the ultimate expression of love for neighbor. Right. But that doesn't mean it was something that God did or that God required. Uh, it was simply what happened to him in reaction to the love he was showing to everyone. And as a result of his non-resistance to his arrest and trial, uh, he carried that out all the way to death and became that sacrifice. Where I where I uh, break points from the penal substitution is that this was not something that satisfied God's justice or that was a requirement from God in that sense. It was an expression of Jesus' love. And again, it was the the simple fact that Jesus being life could overcome death. And because he shared in our humanity, we share in his divinity, we share in his resurrection, and therefore overcome death with him. Yeah, so, and that's, that's why I, I think... Th- getting to the requirement is why be, because because it refers to the tabernacle in heaven needing to be cleansed and Jesus cleanses it with his blood to, that that puts it on a different level of of requirement that, Let me that say we something can't regarding do that. that in that yeah. I so I I'm wondering if this when you mentioned inerrancy earlier I'm wondering if that's like the hinge point like what is scripture what you believe scripture is determines how far you can go down these these paths if if scripture is inerrant and there aren't multiple streams of thought kind of dialogue you mentioned dialoguing with each other in the old testament 
there is a cohesive message throughout all Scripture, and that can't be broken. If you're looking at Scripture that way, I feel like it might be hard to get to where you're going, Chuck. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And and I almost yeah, feel like for sure. like we grew up, I grew up in, and I think Scott probably, but maybe you, I don't know about Jeff. Well, probably not Jeff, but the idea of scripture memorization and you like memorize these memory verses and it just takes these little bits and pieces and we're kind of taught like those bits and pieces are all true. And generally I, I agree with that, but what you miss is the context of the the bigger sure. narrative. And so I, for me personally, like the idea of me, uh, memorizing scripture like you could memorize all of shit sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Um, or, or the wages of sin are death, but then you don't go to the next few verses or even bigger than that to see a bigger narrative that's going on. And it, and it prevents you from, uh, from almost seeing this bigger picture. Now I'm rambling. You Absolutely, take it over. Yeah. Well, yeah. Now are you, who, who yeah, are you? You're talking about like the whole respond- cherry picked Romans road idea. Who are you responding to. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm trying to, well, cause uh, yeah, the Romans Road idea, and um, I, I Scott, your your disconnection from where Chuck is at, or vice versa, is what you believe the Bible is or is doing. I think has a lot to do with where you come from. That, but, but yeah, I want, but, so well, potentially, but but, but I'm, I'm not talking I you. Real, I, I wanted Chuck to react I, to my couple well, of thoughts yeah, but, there. Yeah, so yeah, and I, and I appreciate that. What what I'm thinking, but you don't want Chuck to respond. I do, I do. <laughs> but what I'm what I'm thinking though is that this is this is a this is a verse or a passage that has a really broad context in all it, that that runs throughout scripture and so the idea that um i i can't just go oh there's a broader narrative to scripture and then and then go oh this, so that means that the that the temple in, or the tabernacle in heaven doesn't need to be cleansed by Jesus blood so that that's what's where it's like Okay, I, I agree with you that there that yeah, scripture has a broad narrative. There's an an analogy to scripture, but that let's let Chuck yeah. j- jump in. What am I jumping into at this point? <laughs> what am I that's responding a, to that's here? That's a great question. I, no, I was just mentioning the the proof texting or or proof texting. I think comes from the, uh, the, our my history of memorizing scripture verses without regard to sure. context. The wages of sin is death yeah. becomes, you know, that's, you know, God is going to kill you or slash put you away forever because of you, because of your individual sin. And you miss the broader picture sure. that I think you're going for. Well, and even that, that verse in itself, you know, the wages of sin is death. It doesn't say that God's wages for sin is death, but that sin's wages, sin pays its own wages and those wages are death. You know, it's, if anything is holding us accountable or uh, demanding something from us, it's sin itself, and it's death itself. It's not God standing over us saying, I will give you death if you don't X, Y, Z, but that sin itself pays out wages of death. And And when we partake in sin, it brings us to death. And Jesus shows us a way of avoiding that by uniting with his nature and by living in the the way of love that he teaches us. And that was the warning that you were talking about earlier, that our father is trying to protect us from running out in the street and yeah, absolutely. So going against that is going to bring its own pain and suffering to our own lives. Yeah. At least. Yeah. I don't know where, where you had, 
where where having kids for you, Chuck, was on your journey, but for me it changed a lot. Like after sex, probably. Oh yeah. yeah. Yes, technically correct, Scott. Uh, but for for me, like it changed my view of forgiveness, and and that's what ultimately has caused the biggest shift is like you're learning that forgiveness isn't conditional. And if, if my forgiveness for my kids is unconditional, Mm -hmm. is God doing a version of like, do what I say, not what I do, or is God doing more of the best of what I want to do, which I know is not like a biblical, it's not a biblical argument necessarily, but I know you, I don't know. Go ahead. Thoughts. Well, it, it is a biblical argument because, uh, Jesus says to forgive as God forgives. And we're told in Scripture to be imitators of God and imitators of Jesus, who is God. Um, so it absolutely ties back to that. We can't have a picture of God who acts differently than we are supposed to act. That's a that's a biblical contradiction to have something like that. So yeah, absolutely. God is not less forgiving than we are. Um, I'm completely with you there. Good. <laughs> Scott. No, so, no, Scott. No, Scott. Yes. Okay, Scott's cut off. It's like, if if I say something further, then I'm being overbearing. I need to prove I'm right, and I, there's a whole bunch of accusations. Well, yeah, way. you are. You're gonna yeah. try and bring Chuck to your side, and he's gonna be like, guys, didn't want to no, have an argument. Best, Not gonna argue best, anybody best, into it. The best way to learn. Oh, is listen to Scott. The best way to learn is to <laughs> is to ask people if my if your arguments. No, so what, what Scott. What do you think about your argument? No, nope. so I'm presenting my argument. All right, and they get to respond to that. Oh, and that's—I mean, because okay. how else are you supposed to learn? Well, uh, get, yeah, go for uh, it. Get, go date, for it, date, ask a woman to marry you. I don't date. Have children, <laughs> and then we'll no. have more of this discussion. No, the way. Okay, that's the way to, to learn go. is not to listen to women. That's definitely not not the way to learn. It's to just dig in and engage in life. Yeah. That so Scott's single and no kids, which I'm sure is shocking to you. But I I pray one day when you get kids, Scott, and it's going to happen. That's my prophecy for you. It's going to happen. <laughs> Man, that changed me so hard, like in a big way. I was reading children's Bibles, and you get to some of the parts that are super dirty and complex, but the children's Bible mm-hmm. tries to put a bow on it. Um and make not, it not nice and fluffy. And then it, it turned into a fairy tale and it really made me question, do I believe any of this shit? Or, you know, what is behind this? Is there actually something here? Or is this, am I just carrying on a fairy tale for my kids? And that really caused me to jump in and investigate different things. And so, so well, it was, it's interesting yeah, that you absolutely. would associate all, that all with the smiling animals in the ark while millions of people <laughs> die around right. them. Wait, say, exactly. that, say that again, Chuck. Sorry, I, I, I was. Yeah. Oh, just saying, all the smiling animals on the ark, while millions of people die around them. Right, the animals don't you know, know what's this, going this on. Just putting a bow on these these things to turn it into a children's story when it's pretty R-rated stuff. Right, definitely. And and again, that that comes down to the. I, I guess we probably should try to try to put a bow on this somehow, but that comes down to like, I, I get why if if you believe scripture is a thing that has things to say that are unquestioned in your understanding of them. I I don't blame you for seeing that picture of the ark and, and it means what it says. Um, and there's no questioning it, but somebody that, that is kind of on the fence or is, 
is uh, apprehensive about what you're doing, it feels you would you would say it's orthodox, Chuck, but it feels like you're going outside of the bounds. Like what what's a stepping stone to like assure them like, hey, you can go on this journey. It's going to be okay. Come along with me. Because it sounds like you really deeply care about what the Bible has to say. I mean, it's hard to say what the stepping stone is, because honestly, that's different for everyone. True. And um, I, I kind of just want to trust the Spirit to guide people on, on the right way there and uh, put the right people and the right perspectives in their path at the right time. Um, I I would just back up and say that that whole feeling of, you know, this is so far out of orthodoxy and outside of the gospel as I understand it is really just a statement of how strongly the basically John Calvin's version of the gospel is entrenched in particularly Protestant evangelical Christianity that his particular atonement theories and ways of understanding the gospel have become for so many people the gospel itself. And if I can do anything, whether whether people agree with me or not, just helping them see that that way of understanding the gospel, and we talked about this already, but that's that's not the gospel itself. Um, it's not the only way to understand these theological concepts. There are many ways that have historically been understood within the church as perfectly orthodox, perfectly acceptable uh, ways of interpreting these things. But what really matters is that we are following Jesus and living in the love that he called us to. That's That's the heart of the gospel right there. Yeah. That's sweet. That, that's good. So somebody comes at you and says, you're just a universalist. Uh, what do you say to that? Because I know you get that heat. <laughs> sure. If that's if that's a label you want to put on me, um, uh, I certainly do hope that the entire universe will be restored. Uh, so I'm more of a hopeful universalist, if you want to use a technically correct term, but I don't care if people want to call me that. Frankly, I don't care what people want to call me, as you can tell my my branding of my blog. Uh, <laughs> it, whatever whatever works. The universalist, and I think what Zach was just saying, um, I might be slightly different than the the whole universe being reconciled to God. And and so I that that would be a main question though is um, and it goes back to mi- what we talked about at the beginning about you know eternal conscious torment and maybe the divide is more along the lines of does God judge those? is there a question here because that's his hope that's what, what he's ho- oh aren't you gonna let him answer no what he it, what did is, he said he was a ho- if you want to call me that then I'm I'm a hopeful universalist and, uh, well okay okay sure and does God judge then? I think that's what Scott's trying to get at, is does does God judge, and yeah. what does that look like in can't, your framework, Chuck? Can't, can't, hmm. can't make anything. That's precise. a really good question, yeah. and another one that we got to define terms on. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Because I absolutely believe that God, God does judge, but what do we mean by judgment? Um, a lot of people, again, in more traditional evangelical circles, the word judgment is synonym for punishment. Um but that's not really what the word is about. A judgment is about a discernment. It's about a bringing truth to light. So I believe that Christ will return and will enact the judgment. But the judgment is simply a showing of what is true and what is false. And what elements in our lives have been done in love and are leading us to life, and what elements of our lives have been sinful and are leading us to death. And a 
a making all things clear, a judging, a discerning of what is good and what is not good, what is what is leading to death. Um, so yes, God absolutely judges, uh, but that's not the same thing as right, punishment. Yeah. So what are the consequences of that judgment? I guess I guess would a lot of fundamentalists the consequence. Sure. Um, <laughs> the consequences are that we are then made fully culpable and aware of what our actions are doing. And we can then either choose to continue in them and continue down this path of death. And this is why I'm, I'm a hopeful universalist, because uh, given human free will, I have to say that it's possible someone will, even after receiving this, this judgment, this discernment, this showing of what is true and right, still choose to reject the true and right, follow in what is wrong and continue all the way on to death, perhaps even the point of basically opting out of humanity altogether such that you cease to exist. Um, I hold that as a marginal possibility while being hopeful that once everyone sees the truth and sees the character of God for everything that it is, that no one actually will make that ultimate decision to walk away from it, that everyone will, of course, want to follow in the path that leads to life. Uh, but we will see in the resurrection how that actually works and out. And it's hard to come to that conclusion, um, and because you keep saying hopeful, you're hopeful of that, but it, but I, I could see why you'd say that, because it, it is difficult to come to that conclusion when there are the passages that talk about uh, the, you know, the final judgment being separated from Christ, being thrown into the lake of fire, which is sure. the, you know, the, the, the destiny of the, of, of Satan and the false prophet and all that. And, and that's where the, the, those who are not written in those who, whose names are not found written in the book of life, their destiny is the same as Satan and, and, and the false prophet in the lake of fire. So, so yeah, yeah. And I see that, that and that's where my question is. I would question. see all those yeah. passages as a sincere warning of what is at least theoretically possible. Okay. Um, certainly we, we would be wrong to write them off to the point where, uh, we don't allow them to have the impact they're supposed to have, which is simply to show us where this path is heading and to motivate us on the proper path, uh, the path of love for neighbor. Um, and to be, the, the thing is though, to be honest, uh, we mentioned bringing all things to light and showing what is true and whether or not some will choose to reject that, I don't think it's going to be the hardened atheists that are at least initially going to reject it. I think it's going to be the diehard religious people who are offended at the scandalousness of God's grace and the inclusion of all these people that they viewed as outcasts and as separated from God. You know, it's, it's the parable of the prodigal son and the older brother, whereby God's grace is just poured out so much wider than they expect it to be, and they're offended by all these inclusion of people. If anyone's going to walk away at the judgment, at least initially, that's, that's the, the mentality I could see doing that, more so than the ones who just didn't believe in God or, you know, were just wanting to live a life of pleasure without regard for God or whatever else. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, and, and I and I think for yeah. the church now, uh, living is is we 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 are concerned with with getting people to return to the Father, and that's what the church's mission should be. Um, so mm -hmm. so we we see those people that are that that have turned away from God and are are, are chasing a life of of the flesh, 
and the church's mission is to bring them back to the Father. So I would, I would agree with that part of the... Uh, well, I agree with what you just said, yeah, and also the, the part of, of that parable of, of getting people to return to God. Yep. Awesome. Rad. Well, <laughs> hey, Chuck, before we wrap up... No, I got one more... Nope. Ah, oh, come on. Nope. There's al- five more pages. <laughs> There's always one more. Hey, how's your book coming along? The book is coming along. Um, <clears throat> funny thing is, both Keith and I, well, it's not funny at all, <laughs> but at basically parallel times, we were both unemployed for quite a while. And you know, it's funny. You would think being unemployed, you have all this time to write. No, it, mm. it takes way more effort to be unemployed than to be working a full-time job. Anyway, we both have full-time jobs again, but that took quite a chunk of time out of us that we would have otherwise been mm-hmm. writing. So it's not quite as far along as I would like it to be at this point, but it is certainly still progressing. I can't promise a release date, but I am hopeful that within 2019 it will be out. Uh, What's your perspective title? Uh, working title is simply The Beautiful Gospel of Wheat. I have not workshopped it any more than that to see if that's what we'll ultimately go with. I have a feeling it probably will be for the, the main title at least, and then some sort of subtitle. But Can I suggest the beautiful gospel of wh- wheat? <laughs> you could suggest that, uh, yes. Well, I don't, you, I don't, you can even pronounce it that way if you I want, want to. I don't want to contradict you, though, and you know, get everyone upset at me. So We're not upset at you, Scott. We're just trying to be timely here. Timely-ish. Now, are, are you suggesting then that I should rearrange the points to to match uh, Ultip or whichever yes. that would be, <laughs> so that it comes out wheat instead of wheat? Yeah, touche. It'd be wheat. Yeah. All right. One more from me. Go with me on a small mental journey here. You are walking into the New Jerusalem, whatever that looks like to you. And you get walk-in music to come into, and you are escorted by some somebody's on your arm, or you are on somebody else's arm. Not literally. They're you're walking in with somebody. Who is that? Per, who walks in with you from any time in history, living or dead? And what is the music that's Janis playing? Joplin. Wow, that is quite a uh, a question. All right, I'm just gonna say the very first things that randomly come to my mind: uh, my wife and Bohemian Rhapsody. Okay. Nice. I love, I love that the wife is great, and I believe you. If you were to pick a s- historical figure for fun, who would it be? Mm, George McDonald. George McDonald. Uh, Why not? It, I, yeah, we didn't talk about yeah. him at all, but he plays pretty heavily in the, wheat the and will be in the book a is lot. George. So, <laughs> who is George McDonald? Okay. Did he write so under? You, you got another two did, hours. Yeah. <laughs> Was he the one that wrote under a pseudonym? Uh, okay. No, um, Gregory McDonald oh, okay. is the pseudonym of Robin Perry, That's right. who wrote yeah. the Evangelical he Universalist. Wrote the pseudonym of I'm, I'm assuming I'm assuming he picked that uh, based off of George okay. McDonald. George McDonald being an earlier Universalist. Yeah, uh, George McDonald was this Scottish author in late 1800s, early 1900s. Um, he wrote uh, all sorts of stuff, including like children's book such as. Uh, the Princess and Curdie is one of his favorite ones, or At the Back of the North Wind. Um, more uh, adult fiction like Fantasties or Lilith. Um, but the, the stuff I really love from him is his theological works. Well, his fiction is theological too, but I like his straight, straight theological works, such as Unspoken Sermons or The Hope of the Gospel. 
um, basically teaching all this, pretty much exactly the same theology that I'm espousing here only, you know, a hundred years ago. Nice. I like it. Well, we look forward to your work coming out and may, may it come swift as swift as it needs to. I look forward to it coming yeah. out too. And we'll <laughs> love to check in with you again as it's coming out and, to promote it. Can people find you? For sure. Uh, yeah, you can find me on Facebook is my most active bit of social media. Uh, just search Chuck McKnight. Uh, my Pathios blog, Hippie Heretic. Um, you can either search Hippie Heretic on Pathios or hippieheretic.com will redirect to that. Um, yeah, either one of those places is a good place to start and then find me wherever. And you're not afraid to engage with people that, that see your stuff and they're like, hey, what, what is this talking about? You go, you go at it with people. I like that. Yeah, as long as you're coming on it with a uh, an intent to converse and not uh, convince me of your way of thinking, then absolutely. Yeah, I love nice. it. Thanks, man. Thank you so much, yeah. Chuck. Appreciate it, Chuck. Lot, Chuck. Thank you all for having yeah. me on. You I'm got honest. it. We'll do it again. Take care. Hi, this is Brandon Andrus, and you're listening to Bros, Bible, and Beers. You see, when you turn the video off, could he still see us? Um, because I try to like smile and stuff, and I just want to know you if tried to smile. Because I don't know. How Are we to, still recording? I don't know how to smile. So. Good, good. Hey, Scott, I want to say I'm glad you tried. I want to say I tried that. I, it wasn't that I was trying to like chop you off. I, I just early on, he's like, you know, with Key Childs, you guys went like three hours. How long is this going to be? And we were already forty-five minutes in, and we hadn't even gotten to wheat. And obviously, he had a whole lot more in the the you know having that come to be and i just didn't want i didn't want to have him st- stuck i mean we went along you know it's not that i don't want to hear i wanted to hear your questions but it was like oh my gosh like we haven't even gotten to you know where we want to get which is wheat how did that come to be what's what does it mean why'd you do it where'd it come from we you got know, all that what's the back no we didn't because he got a, he goes he goes you got two more hours about george mcdonald it's his time he could he's a he's an adult yeah but we he's didn't an adult. go he there say, with hey, wheat. guys we we wheat we needed to go yeah. to wheat uh. but scott mostly mostly and we're 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 mm. We're we're getting out of here, but Scott, mostly, it wasn't coming at you for your disagreements or anything. It was just your inability to phrase anything into a question, <laughs> anything at all. So, Scott, I have a question for you. Do you? Okay, I have a question. So, I was just thinking. So, Zach's I, hold on. Zach's I, statement wait, Scott, wasn't Scott, a question. Scott, so let's go I have to a question. Statement. That's so, not be Scott, a question. it's just a brief question. So, when you were saying the the thing before, you were. You were saying this, I mean, so I was thinking. Uh, uh, when you were when you were t- <laughs> when yeah, you were talking you were when you were talking, um, that good. I was thinking that I mean when you were t- when you were bringing up your points, the thing that Zach was talking about, yeah. Uh, you know, with that, I like it. No, I just, I, like it. I was just, I was just wondering. <laughs> I'm entertained. This is actually good. I, I, I mean, 
Uh, but Zach, I don't know. You can you can you can confirm this. To me. <laughs> I mean, do you yeah. remember what you said and what and what he said? And it was a he said she said thing. And there, I'm fairly certain that it might have been something that Paul wrote, but we're not really not certain. And I, I have some papers here. <laughs> some papers. That's no, that's good. Mixed good and mixed in with yeah. so mixed Scott, in with no. Scott. No, Jeff has more. Answer? Jeff has more. Scott, can you answer that? <laughs> I agree. <laughs> mixed, mixed, <laughs> mixed in, mixed. Scott, I love you, man. Mixed in with. You're the best. Mixed Dude, in with. Just, oh my God. I mean, Jeff you has would, more. Zach, yes. Zach, hold on. <laughs> you would annihilate people in. A a a, de- a twenty four hour debate like a snooze a snooze debate. <laughs> no, who can dude, make the other person no, you're thinking faster. about a, filibu- a filibuster. <laughs> no, yeah, no, dude, you would have been. You still could be. They call an me, amazing politician. Yeah, they call me the Pelosinator. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm crying. You're so funny. I do want to say, Chuck. <laughs> one of the things that. People warn against the slippery slope. People that are fundamentalists warn against the slippery slope. They don't, most of them don't see it ending up at Chuck, who apparently and obviously loves and cares deeply about scripture. Oh, totally. And that's what I, I appreciate, appreciate about him. He's yeah. going towards a view that is orthodox and is supported by early church. Um, in a way that has kind of been lost over the years, and he cares deeply. He's not a guy going, "No, oh, the Bible is dirty. The Bible c- commands genocide, so throw it all out." He's not doing that. He's he's navigating his way through Scripture and uh, cares deeply about it, which I appreciate it. And it it matters to me because it's something I previously didn't think existed. I thought it was our way or straight slope to atheism so yeah thanks, so, and, chuck. and i i i chuck sound he he's he's a really nice guy and i i i probably agree that he he he's a really nice guy he cares do you know scripture. why you say that about one, people and then say something yeah, else wh- one go of the ahead with your passive aggressiveness go I'm ahead not a racist but <laughs> <laughs> one of the questions i wanted to get to was in the 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 opening uh blog post on wheat which is the God Jesus reveals, and I think it goes with what you just said, Zach. Um, He says, so far, what we have covered is standard Christian theology. Every Christian tradition should agree that Jesus reveals God. But the rubber meets the road when the God revealed in Jesus conflicts with the God revealed elsewhere in Scripture. So while I want to agree with what you just said about throwing out all this other stuff— I, I would have a question about that. What what does that mean that it the re, that elsewhere in Scripture conflicts with Jesus, and what do we do with that Scripture? So it's it's not just it's not just putting them in a category and, and writing them off. I, I I I want clarification on what that means because if he has a point, well, what what do I do with that? I, I'm I'm not sure. All right, send a clarification to scott at brosbiblesbeer.com. <laughs> yes.